Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. <clears throat> Happy to see you here on this another gift of a beautiful, sunshiny day. We have communion today, so <clears throat> we chose songs reflecting on that. So let's stand and worship God together. for the cleansing power are you washed in the blood of the lamb are you fully trusting in his grace this hour are you washed in the blood of the lamb are you washed in the blood in the soul cleansing blood of the lamb Yeah. 
this morning. If you would like to read the call to worship with me this morning, it's inside uh, the bulletin. It's from Psalm 89 verses 1 and 2. And let's read together. 
I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. If you'd like to bow with me, let's pray as we continue to worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning as a family together. We thank you that your love is never-ending. And we thank you that it endures forever. You're always faithful to us. You never let us down. And we can depend on that when our circumstances seem uncertain or we have people in our lives that um, let us down. Father, help us to remember that you are always there for us and you always keep your promises. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we can come and hear from your word this morning. We'd ask that you be with Glenn as he leads us in the teaching of your word and the communion service. We thank you that we can worship you together in song, that we can worship you in prayer, and that we can worship in hearing from your word. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Corey has our scripture reading this morning. John chapter 19, 17 through 30. The crucifixion of Jesus. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. <clears throat> he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, <clears throat> What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarments remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. <clears throat> this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. <clears throat> Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. passage for us this morning. Uh, as we prepare our minds to go through this, let's uh, just pray and ask God's Spirit to guide us. Thank you, Lord God, for your word to us. Thank you that we can uh, 
just look at it and we consider it and know that this is the word of our almighty God to us as your followers. And may we hear it, may we understand it, may we uh, grasp the significance for us, in particular this morning in regards to, to the communion service and see how it all fits together. Help me, Lord, to speak it as you'd want it spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. There we go. I think I got it on. So, anybody know what the tomato's for? <laughs> Did somebody throw tomatoes at the speaker last week? Or <laughs> most likely, when you think about the communion service, uh, you. Don't think about water. But that's what I would like us to consider this morning. Communion is a time when we pause and force ourselves to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And to remember the significance of that. Jesus commanded that we do this on a regular basis so that we don't forget. I don't think it is in any way possible to imagine the extreme torture and agony that Jesus endured those last 24 hours of his life that ended with his death on the cross. Uh, you just have to read the descriptions in the Gospels as to what happened to Jesus to be able to imagine uh, the torture and the agony that Jesus went through. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, he made several significant statements. Uh, there have been books written about them. I'd like to focus on one. One of those statements this morning. A very short statement. Only two words, or three words, depending on which translation you have. And at first reading, when you read at just a superficial level, it's a very natural thing for Jesus to say. He's in agony as he's hanging on the cross. Having been whipped the way he was some hours before, he would have bled quite a lot. On top of that, his physical body being in shock. Uh, put that all together, he would have been very dehydrated as he's hanging there on the cross just before his death. So when he made that short two-word statement, I thirst, or I am thirsty in some translations, it's very understandable that Jesus would be thirsty. Of course he would have been thirsty. His thirst likely would have been excruciating. And likely that was more than just a statement. I'm sure it was a very strong exclamation coming from Jesus. I thirst. I'm thirsty. And just a glass of water would have done a lot to ease his discomfort in those last few hours. But as you think about and ponder this, it becomes more and more profound. So let me show you what I mean. Let's go back, way back, right to the beginning, right back to creation. If you don't know it by memory, I'd like you to turn to in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And let's read those verses. In the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So when God first created matter and the elements which make up the universe, uh, he created this planet, Earth. And if you read those first two verses, it sounds like at first it was just a formless blob, apparently all covered in water. But that was remedied very quickly. As you read on, you see that by day three, God had worked with these waters. He separated some of the waters out into water vapor or in the atmosphere. You see that as you read along. You can skim ahead there. Uh, the rest of it was still on the surface with an expanse between the waters above and the waters below. And then... God worked again, and the water on the surface was moved to confine it to its place on the planet, or places. So dry ground appeared. So there was dry ground and there was water, each in its own place, confined to its place. Now keep all this in mind. I'm building to something here. Go over to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14 and following. Uh, this begins the account of the flood in Noah's time. That is recorded for us over the course of the next three or so, three or four chapters in Genesis. But starting at verse 14, that's where this account starts. Because of the sinfulness of mankind, God destroyed the earth with a worldwide flood. And it was a very chaotic time where, again, God did some amazing things with water. Look at chapter 7 and verse uh, 11. So the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. Over to chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. But God remembered Noah. And all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. So also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed. And the rain from the sky was restrained. So it wasn't just rain that caused the flood. It says the fountains of the deep, fountains of the great deep opened. And water poured up, up, out, out of the ground. So we have copious amounts of rainfall coming from above, we also have huge amounts of water gushing up from the ground that caused the flood. Rain from above, water from the ground from below. And when it had done its work, God caused the rain to stop. And he shut off those fountains of the deep and shut off the rainfall. And so the end result was that by using water, God destroyed the earth, the whole planet, and gave it a new start. Saving only Noah and his family and just two of each kind of animal to start over with. Moving on. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, they came to the Red Sea. And they were trapped. The, uh, the Egyptian army chased them behind. They had... The Red Sea in front of them, on each side, there was cliffs and mountains and 
impassable uh, areas. One side of Cliff Mountain, the other side I think was a desert, but they were trapped there. And again, God did something amazing with water. God opened a pathway for the Israelites through the Red Sea and got them across. And when the Egyptian army tried to follow, God let the water back into the place and the entire Egyptian army that went in were killed, drowned in the water, by the water. Forty years later, when the Israelites were ready to take the promised land, how did God get them into the promised land? Again, he opened a way across the Jordan River. Another miracle with water. He stopped the river flowing so they could cross on the ground. And after they had crossed, he released the water and the river to flow again. When we come to the New Testament and the four Gospels, we read the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus, he's the second person of the Trinity. God the Son, second person of the Trinity. And the Bible shows us that Jesus is God come in human form. And the New Testament teaches us that Jesus was very much involved in the creation of the universe that we uh, talked about here just a few moments ago. And all the activities of, that God did in the Old Testament, Jesus was been very much involved in all of those activities. So Jesus, as part of the Godhead, would have been involved in all those miracles with water that we just talked about. And as you go through the story of Jesus' life here on earth, as recorded in the Gospels, you continue to see miracles with water. There's a story of Jesus' first miracle. The first miracle ever performed. Turning the water into wine. Six barrels of water there for the purpose of the ceremonial washings. When the wine ran out, Jesus turned those barrels of water into wine. There's a story of Jesus walking on the water coming to the disciples who were in distress in their boat because of the storm. Now walking on water would be miraculous enough, but try walking on water where the waves are bouncing up and down. and <laughs> that, that was a miracle. Jesus walking on the water. There's another story of Jesus sleeping in the boat when a huge storm came up, threatening to capsize the boat, send it to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Disciples were scared for their lives, they woke Jesus up demanding that he help him, help them. And Jesus, with just a spoken word, commanded the wind to stop, the waves to be still, and there was instant obedience. The storm was over right now. And the lake became perfectly still. Now I go through all of that to demonstrate a truth. And that truth is that Jesus knows how to control water. <laughs> Jesus can create water from nothing. He can manipulate water to do what he wants. He can change water into wine. He can give water commands and water obeys. And yet, when Jesus hung on the cross in agony, desperately needing a drink of water, he goes thirsty. Why? He can create water from nothing. 
When he created the universe, he created copious amounts of water. Look at all the water there is on planet Earth. He can command water to move and not move and do what he wants at his will. But there on the cross, as he's hanging in agony, he can't even get a drink of water when he desperately needs it. Why? During his earthly life, Jesus even used water as an illustration of a spiritual truth. Remember his conversation with that woman at the well in Samaria. Jesus told her that he was able to give living water, which is all satisfying for all time. Not like physical water where you take a drink and you're satisfied for a short time, but in time you're going to get thirsty again and you're going to need more water. The water that Jesus gives, he says, when you receive it, it satisfies your spiritual thirst for all time. You'll never be thirsty again. In fact, that water that Jesus gives will become a well of water inside you, springing up to eternal life and flowing out. It's so great that it flows out from you and is able to affect others around you. That's a spiritual water, the living water that Jesus can give. So he uses water as a, to illustrate a spiritual truth to this woman at the well in Samaria. But what had to happen to put this into effect? To put this all into operation? What had to happen? Well, you know the answer. It's what we're remembering here today at our communion service. Jesus had to die to pay the price of our sin in order for this well of spiritual water to be opened up for us. He had to die. You see, for us to receive this great water, this abundant water, this spiritual water that never, that always satisfies Jesus, the creator and master of water, had to go thirsty. He didn't get that glass of water when he was hanging on the cross. He was offered a sponge soaked with some cheap sour wine. But what, what was that? Jesus went thirsty. We got the water. Jesus died. We got life. Jesus went through agony and hell so we could get heaven. Quite literally. It's an old southern gospel song called I Thirst. And the chorus of that song goes, He said, I thirst, yet he made the rivers. He said, I thirst, yet he made the sea. I thirst, said the king of the ages. In his great thirst, he brought water to me. Have you ever been thirsty? I mean, really thirsty? So thirsty you'd almost kill for a glass of water? You ever been that thirsty? I remember one occasion we had gone to visit um, relatives of ours in Salmon Arm, B.C. And part of the excursion was my uncle who lived there and was hosting this family thing. Um, he was going to take us climbing up Mount Ida, a mountain just outside of Salmon Arm. 
So I don't know if you ever, any of you ever know about Mount Ida. You know Mount Ida, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, it's closer. I don't know exactly. I was a kid, but so we climbed this mountain up to where the crater that uh, was at some point was volcanic. So we climbed up to that crater and we're coming back. And oh, I can never. I've never been that thirsty in my life, either before or since. I was so thirsty, and nobody had any water. Nobody had packed any water. It was a warm day, hot day. We're climbing mountains. And, and uh, we get down to, coming back down to some place, I don't know where, but there was some water there, and everybody was drinking water. And my old aunt, she was there drinking. I almost pushed her over and grabbed her bottle so I could get a drink of my water. I have never been that thirsty in my life. So multiply that by several times. And that's what Jesus went through. So that you and I could have that living water. So abundant, so satisfying, so life-giving. So eternal. He didn't have to go thirsty, you understand. Jesus did not have to go thirsty. He could get water anytime he wanted. The Bible demonstrates that very clearly as we went through it. He could get water anytime he wanted. But he willingly went thirsty so we could have the water of life. And that's what communion is all about. Remembering the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Remembering the agony that he went through. And the death that he died for us. So that we could get that living water. That's what the communion service is about. To remember that. Remember Jesus' death on the cross. Remember the body that he gave Willingly gave. The blood that he shed. Willingly shed. So we could have eternal life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and, and lead us in some more singing. And then we'll go into the communion service itself.
to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your bloodstained brow. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. Took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finished the
until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and in so doing, he shall eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The Corinthian church obviously had some issues with the communion service, which Paul had addressed in the previous chapters, and then he goes on to give the instructions which we just read. But drinking and eating the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, he's talking about doing it in a way that does not recognize the profoundness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Just doing it in a way that is a ritual or just in a way that is making light of Jesus' sacrifice. He warns against that kind of thing. So as we examine ourselves, that's what he's talking about. Do you understand what it is we're doing here? Do you understand the significance of Jesus' sacrifice? Do you understand what it's about and how deeply it affects us? So we're going to take a, just a moment of silence, and I'd like each of us to do what Paul says here. Let's examine ourselves. Are we understanding? Are we doing this in a way that would be pleasing to God and would take into account the understanding of what he went through for us? I'll give you a few moments just to examine yourselves. Thanks for the bread, which represents the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life, how it was lived, how you lived perfectly in obedience to the law, that you were the perfect sacrifice for our sins, for my sins, and that you died, and that you rose again so that we can have eternal life if we put our faith in you. We thank you for your obedience to your Father. We thank you that you willingly gave up your innocent life so that we can live. And we thank you that we can remember that and celebrate that today.
Save my life, yes, the blood. 